Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of God, or the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's a good start. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Blake. Hey, good morning. It's good to be uh, with you. Uh, Sincerely grab one of those study uh, Bibles if you haven't. Uh, A core conviction of ours uh, is that the Holy Spirit... Uh, and the word and community is enough to guide us through this thing. Uh, so we're hoping that you take notes in that one, not grab a new one each week, but that you keep a hold of one. Um, and then in your DNAs, your missional communities, Bible study, that it would be helpful to kind of prod what the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart. And you can kind of come back to that later uh, instead of forget about it. So grab one of those. We'd love for you to have one. We ordered a case. Uh, and we would be pumped to order another case if we need some more. So those are, are for you. So we finished off the book of Hebrews last week together, and we're going to just dive right into uh, another book, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is, guys, it's really a book that the modern church has kind of disregarded or put on the, the top shelf in the, in the way back. It's probably a safe bet uh, that most of you have not been through a sermon series over the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I had not. Uh, prior to what we're doing together right now. Odds are uh, Ecclesiastes doesn't get a, a main place of rotation, uh, even in your personal Bible study. Like we'll often open up, where do I start? John. John seems good. Uh, and then well, I want something else. Okay, then I go to Romans. Or, well, maybe I'll flip to the, to the front side and I'll look at Genesis and I'll look at Exodus and, and maybe I'll go to the Psalms and, and then you're like, well, I'm done with that for a while. And then you flip it into Ephesians or Philippians. Like that's kind of what the diet looks like a lot for us, but no matter exactly what it looks like for you, I would bet that you're not always finding yourselves back in Ecclesiastes. We tend to ignore it a little bit. And part of the reason is the the voice inside of Ecclesiastes and the tone feel foreign, if not just completely odd to us. Like we open it, we're like, well, this doesn't feel like Moses. It doesn't feel like Isaiah or Jeremiah, and, and it doesn't feel like Pauline literature, and it doesn't feel like Peter. And you're like, well, it definitely doesn't sound like the voice of Jesus either. So I, we just don't know what to do with this odd voice. 
So we go a different direction often. I mean, the, the sage mentor opening it up says in the beginning of the second chapter, I hate my life. And not in like an ironic, ha-ha, funny way. Like, he's serious. And, and then he says, kind of right after that, hey, you, you know what I learned? The more wisdom and knowledge you get, the sadder and the more depressed you get because this life is just, it's a jacked up place under the sun. It's a voice that we're not comfortable with. Zach Eswine said it this way, Ecclesiastes sounds like a crazed man downtown. He smells like he hasn't bathed. He looks like it too. And as we pass by, he won't stop glaring at us and becking us that our lives are built on illusions and that we're all going to die. So most of us metaphorically choose to go to the other side of the road. We, we go to a, a restaurant somewhere far away from this guy. Meanwhile, we'll, we'll jump back into the Psalms sometimes, uh, except for the ones that feel like they are um, needing to be edited because we're uncomfortable with the raw emotions. If you notice, there's a tendency, some raw emotions and harder emotions are ones that we kind of go away from. But I love what Eswine was saying here. If we heard a guy downtown yelling, vanity, oh, vanity, meaningless, it's all meaningless. If we heard him railing that there's nothing new under the sun, everything is a road to nowhere, you're all going to die. Well, we'd imagine it's probably game day. Like he, was probably, he was probably at Shiloh's, too many bush lattes. Or, or, or else he's, he's on drugs or he's having some sort of mental episode. It, it doesn't matter what, what was going on in the guy. What we would tend to do is we would go to the other side of the road because the awkwardness would tell us, man, I don't, I don't want anywhere near that dude. I don't know what he's going to do. And I, I, I'm just not really comfortable with that. This is why Ecclesiastes gets disregarded all the time. On the surface, it confuses us. We feel if we go deeper than the surface, often just really uncomfortable and, and sad and heavy and weighty. So we end up going back to something more familiar. Um, we go back to what, what Matt Chandler calls the coffee cup verses, right? We're comfortable there. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I like that because we feel more safe or encouraged or uplifted, or, or maybe that's a, a palatable weight that we can kind of take. But, but later in the book, the the guy says just some stuff, man. He, he says later in the book, hey, life is super weird under the sun. You work hard to make money and to kind of get some nice things. And later you die and all of your shiny uh, toys, they go to a twerp who won't even remember your name. And chances are he's lazy and doesn't deserve it anyway. You're like, oh, okay. Like, can you imagine if we put that on a coffee cup and saw it in the real world? Like maybe we get rich, we could start like this emo coffee uh, cup business and just like sad and depressing stuff and, and people would buy it. But most of the time we don't like to spend our time there. It's uncomfortable. What do we do in uncomfortable things? We, we look the other way and yet we're gonna spend a couple months in this book on purpose. And, and I wanna tell you that even in the darkness of what you'll see in this, there's a beautiful encouragement for your soul here if you'll grasp a hold of it. It will be heavy, but also be beautiful. The famous author of Moby Dick, Herman Melville, notably said about Ecclesiastes that it is the truest of all books. It doesn't hide anything. It doesn't shade anything from us. It doesn't remove the, the, the rough edges. It doesn't use AI to, to kind of adjust the dark corners out of the, the book. Ecclesiastes gives us an unfiltered look into what he calls life under the sun. That's going to be his idea of, of, of life here and now. But in the Spirit's hand, Ecclesiastes confronts our human problem, allowing us to see our lives without the, 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 the veneer that we put on them. And, and through this, we'll know ourselves better and we'll also know the heart of the Father through his plan better if we'll grasp a hold of that.
Ecclesiastes won't just emerge as a book of truth. It'll also emerge as a book of relevance for us because it tackles many of the temptations uh, posed to us uh, by modern secularism. The lie of secularism is all around us, and it's just this consistent lie. It takes a little bit of different forms, but the lie is the pursuit of, of more and better will fix all that ails you. That, that, that through hedonism or, or pleasure-seeking, you can be happy, or that uh, through materialistic gain or, 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 or gaining a spot in the world, you can soothe the longings of your heart. But, it, but Ecclesiastes exposes the mad quest for satisfaction and stuff, and it yells, friends, no matter how hard you try, knowledge and wealth and pleasure, and work, and fame, and sex, or better sex will not fix you. All of that stuff is, is what he'll call of all. It's vanity, and we'll talk more about what that means. It, it is not going to work. To understand Ecclesiastes, it'll be helpful to, to, to know this. Ecclesiastes is considered a, a wisdom book. So it's written in a sort of tone. It's not going to look like the gospel of, uh, of Matthew. Uh, but another wisdom book would be Proverbs. And what we find in Proverbs is you're going to find lists of, of norms and rules in life and then expectations as far as the outcomes. If you do some of these things, your life is probably going to, to go this way. So it speaks in light of wisdom and folly and anger and truth. And this concept keeps revol- revolving all the time in the book of Proverbs, how to not be a, a, a fool. These are our rules. You do these things and it'll lead your life in a pretty good way. While Ecclesiastes is going to be kind of the, the oh, what if guy in class, Ecclesiastes is going to point out a lot of exceptions to the rules to us. This means Proverbs will tell you, hey, if you live a life of truthfulness, it's actually going to help your life in the long run and things are actually going to go better for you. Uh, how, how kindness and controlling your, your anger is going to pay off in the long run. But Ecclesiastes will go, oh, yeah? Well, what about that angry, cruel, lying jerk who everything goes well for them? The rule didn't work for them, now now did it. And it's going to kind of expose some of these things. And Ecclesiastes does this not to make us then go, well, let's throw out the book of Proverbs, but to show us that, that, that there can be exceptions to these rules. And we need to be careful of that. Well, now, why does it do this? Some people don't live as much for money and experiences as they do for rules and safety through them, right? And Ecclesiastes will tell them, hey, you can try and follow every rule to the best of your ability with laser focus and precision. You can try and control your world and make it safer through following these these kind of rules around you, but know that, that you could follow all the biblical wisdom and the morality to the best of your ability and things can still go terribly for you and you're still gonna die. The author wants to kind of pull the drain plug from out of your hopes, at least to remove the illusion that your hopes inside this world will satisfy you. He's going to aggressively smack it out of your hand over and over and over again, going, that's not going to do what you want it to do. It's not going to fix your heart. And that sounds maybe sadistic, but it's actually a gift of supreme kindness because he does not want you to wrestle with things that won't work. He's trying to love you and care for you. Now, this book wants to show us the emptiness of all things without God. If you want to hold on to a nugget from this kind of intro, there's nothing that will fill you up outside of the Lord. All things are empty. This is a major theme. Satisfaction will not come in anything within man's grasp. He does not have the power, cannot attain, and he cannot reach 
like satisfaction on his own. You cannot do it alone and you cannot do it on your own. In the words of the, the Rolling Stones, you can't get no satisfaction on your own. That's the plight of life under the, the sun. If you don't understand that, you can Google it after church. But I don't want to skim past that. We cannot turn quickly from the heavy statements in this book. There's absolutely nothing in man or woman's power that they can do that will satisfy them on their own. Nothing. We can, we can try to do things to make us happy. And yes, there's some things that you can do and you can enjoy in life, but alone and on your own, mankind is incapable of satisfying the needs of their heart. We can collect shiny toys and we can build kingdoms and we can build names for ourselves and, and homes, make ourselves known. We can collect power. We can uh, collect experiences and vacations and, and chasing desire all the day long. And it'll prove to be fleeting and frustrating in the long run. Sure, you can distract yourself for a little bit, but it won't satisfy the depth of your heart. Right? It's time for, for, for that uh, well-placed low-hanging fruit C.S. Lewis quote. He said, and it, it ties here, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that, we're not made, that we were made for another world. Ecclesiastes stands as a book that will remind us of this at every page that we turn. The world can't satisfy you, friend. But take heart, you weren't made for this world as it stands, though. As the entire world tries to, to, to kind of prove this wrong, like, no, 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 have you tried this? Have you tried this? And they think they're going to be the one that gets there. Men throughout history and women throughout history have tried to be the one who triumphantly solves the puzzle of human contentment and human satisfaction. And Ecclesiastes calls you out of that rat race and goes, hey, you don't need to try to do that anymore. It, it's, a, it's a fool's errand and it's a road to nowhere. This call is led by a character who calls themselves the preacher or the teacher in the book. Now, Ecclesiastes will kind of chronicle uh, the life and learnings of a man named King Solomon. He was the son of King David. He's the main character of this book, though the author is a different man. So, so the way it's going to appear is there's going to be an author, and he writes about the main character in the main character's voice. And at the end, the author pops back in and goes, hey, let's talk about that. That's what you'll see here. What about this King Solomon, though, this, this main character at a glance? He, he wasn't just any king. His accomplishments were, were absolutely massive. He rebuilt the temple of feet people were trying and trying and trying to do. He re restored Israel to, to power. He expanded the, the kingdom and, and the reach in, in large areas. He did one of, one of his most uh, well-known or large advancements is he, is he also got Israel into the sea trade. Imagine back in the day, you're trying to trade and make your money, but you can only tie things to an animal or a cart and you got to go through roads and you may get robbed and all of this stuff. He goes, why don't we put it on boats and we can send it to those rich guys around the corner and we'll make tons of money and we can get, make way more of it and way faster. He did this and expanded their money and their power and their reach. He was wise, he was wealthy, and he was powerful beyond the scope of all others. How wise? God granted him the wisdom to be uh, the wisest and smartest man in all of the world. Dude was smart. How wealthy. He built gardens the size of cities for fun. Why? I don't know. I just kind of felt like I wanted to do it. He was powerful. Uh, how powerful? Enough that 
His reign was full of peace most of the time. And there have been those who've argued, well, it's because he was so wise that he was able to keep the peace. It's because people were scared of him that he was able to keep the peace. He just kind of stockpiled uh, things for war and, and, and nobody wanted to, to mess with this guy. Solomon also got really into pleasure. At one point, he amassed for himself, I can't even, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around this, 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's like live-in girlfriends for pleasure, right? A thousand ladies he had. This king with all of his excess and all of his gain is the preacher or the teacher who's gonna gather us and go, hey guys, let's talk about my resume and what I've done and what's happened and let me teach you. So he wants to teach us, I've sought out all of this stuff and I've gone for all of this stuff and guess what? It didn't work and it's all vanity. Now, if a person comes to you and says, hey, you know what? Nothing on the earth will satisfy you. Trust me. I've tried. Nothing will fill the the depths of your your heart. Nothing will work. But you look at them in the back of your mind, you're like, but you're broke, dumb, weak, and you've never done anything fun ever. You're going to go like, bro, whatever. You don't even know what you're talking about. Right? And you don't actually have the means to make that kind of statement because you've never tried it. You've never been able to push the limits of saying nothing will satisfy me. Well, the preacher isn't that guy. Right? He's actually one with the chops to say this, with money and wisdom and fame and power and possessions and sex. And this guy had all of it in just bucket loads in spades. And he says it's all vanity. He shares the wisdom from a guy who tried and tried and tried to scour to the ends of the earth uh, of life under the sun to get other things to fill him up and satisfy him. He goes, oh, it never worked. His loving advice would be, hey friend, don't chase every shadow and look in every dark corner to try and find a way to satisfy yourself. It will not work. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes kicks off with the introduction as the the preacher um, gathering people. Ecclesiastes means gathering. So the preacher or teacher is going to gather us around and go, hey, let's talk about life under the sun. And and the secularist would go, okay, cool. Let's hear what he's going to say. I'm betting he's going to say YOLO, get out there, get yours, have fun, make money, do the thing. And he doesn't say anything like that. He says, of all. Life, life is just Havel after Havel after Havel. All of life is utterly just fully a huge load of, of Havel. This is where we get the, the word translated as, as vanity. If you read the NIV, it translates it as meaningless, which I, I know what they're trying to say, but it's absolutely a horrible translation of this word. The, the, the word Havel happens 38 times in this book. And in the original language, it means something like smoke, or vapor, or mist. The idea of, of Havel is life is something that is there for, for a moment, and then it vanishes, and it's gone forever and for good. So, so think about a, a, a crisp January morning when you walk out, and your breath hits the, the air, and it catches the air, and all of a sudden, there, there, there is the fog that rises up from your mouth, but as soon as it appears, it's almost like it's gone immediately after, never does it be seen again. This is the type of vapor. You can see it and then it's, it's gone forever. Or, or a fire, no matter how large you make a fire, that you can engulf an entire city. I don't recommend that. 
but you can engulf an entire city and the smoke will be huge and it will be thick and the smoke will even seem to, to blot out the skies if it's big enough. But even with the, the massive amount of smoke in a matter of time, that fire will be gone and so will the smoke. If you wait just a little bit longer, even the traces of it will be gone. This is the, the message of the teacher. Life is a vapor like that. All we do, all we chase, all we love, all, all we try and find meaning and satisfaction in to kind, of, to, to kind of fill us up, all of it's gonna disappear and there won't even be a trace of it. Wait long enough and nobody will even remember it. You may hear that and think, man, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if we're just like a puff of smoke and, and our memories and our legacies and our, and, our, and our heritages and all those that they just kind of vanish forever. Okay, well, let's do a little study. Who was the second president? I wouldn't have known. Adams? He's second. Probably should be important, right? What was your great-great-grandfather's name? I, I put a quick 20 on it that most of you don't know. Or, or look at it this way. What is the favorite possession that you've ever had in your entire life? The favorite thing that just, you know, it, it just kind of meant the, the, the world to you. Where will that thing be in a thousand years? Gone in a landfill, destroyed, fell apart. See, the point is we get a finite amount of time here on earth. And whether we crush it or get crushed by life, it's still a vapor. His message in this is, is going to be, you can't shake it. The rich and the poor both return to dirt. The fit and the fat both get caught by the grave, both. Even the wise man and his great ideas most likely would be, be forgotten if you wait just a little bit of time. Which is why the preacher asked the question, what does a man gain? What does he profit with all of his toil under the, the sun? What, what does he get? What advantage is it to him? This is kind of a deep question. Again, this is where our, our knee-jerk reactions be like, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to look at that. What's the end re result what have we amassed? What have we won? What's the, the net gain, the, the cumulative positive that we end up with, with all of our life? If life is a vapor, if our hands and hearts are full for a time, but then they're emptied by death, time, taxes, and rust, kind of changes the way that we answer that question. Before you think that the author is being kind of fatalistic and unhelpful, he isn't going to follow that up with, okay, since life is a vapor, just quit. Just lay down, do nothing, don't try, don't have fun. It's all lame, just, just lay there and cry. He, he's not gonna do that. He's not gonna recommend that we quit everything or not try or have hopes or dreams or things that we chase. His point will be that mankind gets so busy thinking that they are doing something big, thinking that they're gonna change the world or get the world or figure out the world or, or conquer the world or, or, or wring out some sort of meaning from the world by, by, by soaking up pleasure or filling their heart with stuff that we put our heads down like, like these busy people who, who just can't see what we're doing, like these busy little ants who think that we're big, refusing to admit that we're small. We're finite. And life is fleeting. And, and our life and our, and our name and our legacy, they're going to fade away and it's okay though. His message is heavy. All of your busyness. Many you look down that timeline just a little bit further than you're comfortable with. And you don't really gain that much. It's all going to be gone. It's like a young child at the, at the beach getting lost and building a sandcastle. 
right? Maybe you are that young child, right? They'll dig moats for hours. They'll forget about the, the time, buckets after buckets of sand, elaborate designs. Their imagination just goes crazy as they, they build this kind of mecca, amazing city. Look at what I've done. And they're so enthralled by hours. If you touch this thing, I'll kill you, right? They, this is my creation. And they're not even paying attention to like two hours after you leave. It's gone, bro. It's gone. This is a little bit like life under the sun. We get so lost in creating these metaphorical sound castles that we're not really being honest with ourselves of, of what that stuff gains in the long run. The preacher isn't fatalistic, though. He's just trying to be a realist and asking you to be brave enough to live in reality with him. His leading will be that most people refuse to live within what is real and what is ultimate. Most bury their heads in the sand and they cover their ears and they pretend it's not true. His encouragement was, hey, you don't have to do that though. You don't have to be so scared and pretend reality isn't real. You can embrace it and even worship through it and find joy. The verses five through eight again, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, uh, they'll, they'll flow there again. All things are full of weariness. You feel this like, oh, I, can't, I can't even utter it. The eye is not satisfied. The, the ear is not filled with, with hearing. The author is pointing out life isn't just like, a, it's not that it's just a mist. There are also these cycles that just kind of almost beat us into submission about life. The sun goes up. Sun goes down. Sun goes up. Sun goes down. The wind blows one way, circles back, does it again. Wind blows one way, circles back, does it again. Streams run to the sea. They never get to stop, though, because it's never full. There's like no finalization. He's dealing with these patterns. He's commenting on the kind of repetitive nature under the sun, because at some moment we can kind of get to this point. You're like, is this all my life is? Just doing this thing over and over in this monotony, is that, is that all that it is? And it's brain melting at times. Go to sleep, wake up, go to school. Go to sleep, wake up, go to school. Congratulations, you graduated. Go to sleep, wake up, go to work. Right? Do it again and again. If you're a parent, feed the kids. Get them to shut up and go to sleep. Clean up all their junk. Wake the kids up. Feed the kids, Right? Like, you know how many times I felt insane and picking up the same toy? I just want to throw it in the trash and be like, play with a box? It's over and over and over. You can maybe feel like if you have kids, man, all my life is is, is diapers and, and dishes and laundry. And every time I get the laundry put in, there's 1,200 loads more again and again. And the cycles wear us down. And if we'll be honest about it, sometimes they can make us feel crazy if we limit life to only being cycles. So what do we do? We look for satisfaction outside of the cycles. I just need a little bit, a little respite, a little moment of joy, a little me time, a little fun, a little vacation, a little pursuit to make the monotony just not feel so terrible to me. The teacher goes, but it doesn't work. You get it and the eye's not satisfied and the ear's not full. 
See, the point is these rhythms of life beat us down. We'll look for these little pockets of joy and, and pleasure to, to ignore the rhythms that, that are just kind of weighing on us and it'll never satisfy ever. Think about something that you've aimed for and wanted, like a vacation, a guy's trip, a, a degree, a, a weight loss goal, a hobby, a toy, an experience, right? Whatever it may be, and you work hard for it, and you plan for it, and you sacrifice for it, and then you get it, and then what happens? You start over in two weeks. Well, I want this. Well, I want this. And we don't even kind of realize that we're just kind of transferring our hopes. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. That'll make my heart happy. That'll satisfy me. And we do it again and again and again. And the preacher just goes, guys, this is tiring and an exhausting thing that we do. I cannot even utter it. We never reach a point where it works and we can just quit and relax. The eye sees but is never satisfied. The ears hear, they're never filled. We just seem to need more and want more. And we turn our glance from thing to thing to thing. That'll make life meaningful and that'll make it better. And that'll make the monotony go away. We have a desire for something new. Something will, will satisfy us. Maybe if I can just find that one thing. I've tried that, 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 and that, but what if I find this new thing and that'll satisfy me? He goes, oh yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. Oh, you're great at encouragement. What has been done will be done, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun, nothing. If you're a cynic like me, you're like, oh yeah, golden doodles, iPhone 15, space exploration. Okay. Because what thing that you think is new is really new? The golden doodle, it's just another pet that you think is going to complete your home and make your life happy, it's going to die. Oh, iPhone 15, oh, you mean the thing that you communicate and collect like information on? Like we did that before electricity, bro. Space exploration, oh, you mean that one big step that'll make us more powerful and be able to control the world? Yeah, no, we've had, we've had that in our hearts for a long, long time. He says all new things are just slants on old things. There's nothing new under the sun, nothing that will that we will find, and here's his angle in. There's no new thing that you will be able to find that'll stop the rat race of trying to satisfy your soul. You will not find anything new under the sun that'll fix the deep longings in your heart and the need for satisfaction. So stepping back, the opener of this book, it's heavy to say the least. We hear that life is fleeting, life is like a, a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. We face the reality that we just don't love that much, that you and I cannot be satisfied on our own power and we don't like that. We're stuck in these routines and, and cycles that, that seem to get old and our hearts will, will search, but, but nothing will, will come that we will find that, that'll kind of fill us up. All of our work and our pursuits and our accolades and our possessions and our resumes and, and pleasure will one day just be gone and fade away and it won't last on that backdrop, we're going, okay, this is where he, Jesus jukes us. This is it. He's going to say, believe in Jesus, and that's over. But here's the problem. The text doesn't say that, and if it did, it would be lying to you. Life under the sun is the condition of all. It's the condition for those who follow Jesus and the ones who don't. We don't get pulled out of life under the sun or, or the, the havel or the vapor of life if we follow Jesus. So where's the good news? The good news is the, the vaporness of life doesn't have to terrify you or control you, though, because of Jesus. 
This is the beauty. We always want the, the, the genie in the lamp. Let, let me just do this, and you're going to take everything that I don't like out of my life, right? No, I'm going to give you something better. The entire culture is living in denial that we are temporary, that we will fade away. The world is pretending that materialism and sex and new ideas and achievements and fame and hobbies will be enough to make you happy and satisfy the longings of your heart. But they don't understand that you'll never find enough and it will never satisfy and your eyes will never be full and your ears will never be full. The world tells you, okay, well then just distract yourself from it. This is what has been really intriguing to me about this book. Friends, we, we went through Romans the other year and then Hebrews. And, and part of, if you remember what we talked about, part of the hope in that is I don't want you to always feel on your, on your back, uh, on your heels, scared and worried. Like, are we the crazy ones, scared to say anything? What, what, what the book of Ecclesiastes wants to do is the Bible is the only one speaking truth into this. We have truth. And, and we're the only one that speaks into, to, to this idea in a way that is actually helpful. What do I mean? Leading minds who do not ignore the fleeting uh, nature of life Minds that see clearly that we're like dust in a wind, that our time is short, that we tend to die and be forgotten. Their advice, the greatest minds, the greatest thing that they can tell you on how to deal with that is here's what you need to do. Just try and forget about it. That's their answer. Pretend it's not true. Think happy thoughts. This is what the world has to offer you in the light of a vapor in the havel of life. Tell yourself to ignore it. And when that doesn't work, distract yourself with shiny stuff so you can try and ignore it more. Fill your days with material possessions and desire. Here's the deal. The world has to tell you to ignore it or distract yourself because if you don't do those things, you will fall into utter despair. How do you not? If nothing means anything, if nothing really lasts, if nothing is new, if we're here today and then we're gone tomorrow, if life is hard and then you die and you're, and you're forgotten, how could you not despair if that was it? But here's the good news. Christ reframes the view of all things. We don't have to pretend like life under the sun isn't real if we follow Jesus because in light of redemption, life under the sun isn't the end. Eternity is. This is a beautiful word that he gives us. Friends, this is where we have to understand your faith is either everything or it's nothing. It either filters into the hard corners in the difficult things, in the way that you languish. It either filters into them or not. The Bible speaks into the vapor of life. What does the gospel tell us? Jesus, God the Son, stepped into the futility of life under the sun to make it not the end of those who follow him. He writes a better ending and a better story and a better word. This is the good news of the gospel. Christ has come and secured redemption to where the destiny and the, and the future of every believer isn't just vapor, period. 
The future is not just an eye that will, will not be satisfied. Your future and your destiny is your eye will be satisfied. Your ear will be full. Your heart will have everything it's longed for fully given in Christ and you will be satiated. The future isn't a life that gains nothing. The desire for those who follow Jesus is a new heaven and a new earth and something much, much bigger and more beautiful than vapor. Ecclesiastes wants you to know the story is not the end at death. You should live in light of what death does. Friends, it's not the end of your story though. Here's the picture. Life under the sun is hard. It's fleeting. It's filled with sorrow. All of your greatest efforts and investments here will sooner or later just be gone. But for those who repent and follow Jesus, those who surrender to the king, they begin storing up for themselves things where moth and rust won't destroy. They're storing up, see, see the message is life under the sun. The things here are vapor. The things here, when you try and get your meeting here, it, it's all gonna slip out of your hands. And the harder you try, the more it's gonna disappear on you. But if you trust and lean into and follow King Jesus, you're storing up things that aren't vapor. Thieves and recessions and inflation will not take it. The beauty is don't be terrified, friend. Where does this hit our heart? You don't have to squeeze every drop out of life right now. You don't have to fight like crazy to fulfill every desire and get everything that you want before it's too late. You instead get to stop kicking against the goads, realizing, hey, this life under the sun is a vapor and that's okay because this life is just the first act for God's people. This book is hard to look at in some ways. It also gives us a deep gift from the spirit if we accept it. What is the gift? It frees you from slavery to trying to make everything mean too much in the world. It frees you from that. It frees you from the desperation of crippling fear of the end because Christ the son has stepped into the world under the sun to make a way to be redeemed and have a fixed creation for all of eternity with him. Your longings will die because they will be satisfied. Think about that for a moment. We can get caught up. All that I do and what I get and all my shiny toys are all going to go away. So is all the hurt and the suffering and the longing for more. That's going to be vapor. It won't be there anymore. Much, much better news. Friends, if life is sneaking up on you, You hold on long enough and it will. You begin to worry that, man, this is it. It's over. My window for joy or health or happiness or advancement or education. It's just slammed shut. My life is passing by. It's done. If anxiety just starts to, to make you think, man, I, I wasted my life. I, I haven't done anything. The preacher is standing over you and saying, hey, don't worry, don't worry, friend. This life is the appetizer. It's not even the main course. There's so much more Christ has told us in the middle of life under the sun. The world will be hard and full of sorrow. Don't worry, friend. I've, I've conquered the world, though. Don't worry. L look at what I have for you. This is the message and what what we'll end up looking at over the next couple of weeks in Ecclesiastes is this is the broad message. And then he's going to go into specific things that we shoot for. 
to be wisdom or money or experience. And he's going to show you how that won't work and how that won't work. And he's going to begin to kind of get a little bit more intentional on specific things. But I want to think about this. Uh, author Douglas Wilson, he said it well. And I'm going I'm to try and kind of paraphrase him. He's a smarter dude than me, so I can't talk like him anyway. Life is weird under the sun. Hear this. We have the capacity to be happy, but not the means to get to it on our own. That's a weird thing. You have the capacity to be happy, but not the means to get to it on your own. And then he uses this example. Maybe it'll hit, maybe it'll miss. It'd be like having a can of peaches, the best peaches on earth. If you just get into them, it would be so good. It would satisfy and it would just be wonderful and beautiful and life would be good. But the problem is you don't have a can opener. You have the can and you have the peaches and you can't get into it. This is the way mankind is. Everyone has the can of peaches. Everyone has the capacity to enjoy life under the sun. But it's only when they have the, the key, the can opener, the Christ they can actually get into it and enjoy life in the way that it was created to be. It's the only way you access it and have joy. It's where faith comes in, hits your life, and you believe in the realm of what Jesus has done and how he secures your redemption and how it's his identity that you get to live through and walk through. And even if this place under the sun goes terrible, there's a beautiful inheritance. That is the key. Because then what do you do? You get to enjoy your life, try things, be bold, have fun, and not get crushed when they let you down. Why? It's not the end. It's not the end. I tried some fun stuff. Some of it I did well. Some of it I ran into a brick wall. Jesus is good. I have a good eternity no matter what. This is the most freeing news that you can have. But it only comes when you trust King Jesus with everything. Not just your sin, your life, what you aim for, your identity, your satisfaction, it is transferred to him. The same way his identity is transferred to you through the cross, you know, the righteousness of the king, your identity gets transferred into his work. I live through that now. I don't have to try and get more out of life that I was meant to. That's the sad part of life under the sun. People are desperately trying to wring out of it things that they were never meant to get out of it. The sadness as we see men and women gathering millions and millions and millions of cans of peaches. Maybe this one, maybe this one, maybe this one, maybe this one will fix it and, and none of them see that they need the Savior. He is the only way. We have the capacity to be happy, but not the means on our own. You, son or daughter of God, fight the fight of faith to believe in what the Lord has done. And if you have not turned to him, man, I, I would say, would you? There's nothing that gives you a better message. Christ has come to secure your redemption. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to get it all figured out. You turn to him and go, I need you. You have to save me and help me learn to follow you. And you turn into him and he rewrites your identity and he rewrites your destiny. And I, I, I pray that you would have done that. And if you haven't, I would love to pray with you afterwards. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna gather around over this entire series and remember that Jesus filters into even the disappointing things in life and speaks a better word. And we're gonna fight the, the kind of bloody and hard thing to believe it. Because here's the deal. We can say that now, but it's next week or next month or when something hits you that you have to fight to actually believe it. We're gonna wrestle with this so that we can believe it in the hard moments of life. So what we'll do today, worship team, you guys can come back up. We're gonna 
play three more songs and we're gonna be able to take communion together because what we're gonna do with coming to the table is we're gonna radically reorient everything. It is all Christ. No matter if you have a good week or a bad week, it's the body and blood that gives you a new identity. It's his sacrifice. It's his work. It's what he has done that makes you a promise that you can take to the bank. 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, what are we doing when we come and take from the table every day? You're proclaiming to your heart and we're proclaiming to each other, Christ has secured my eternity. Christ has defeated death. He has paid for my sin. He has secured the way for me to be adopted into the family of God. It is all that he has done. And once again, whether you've crushed it this week or got smashed this week, Christ is you and you alone. Let me feed off and see the beauty of what you've done. As we play uh, three songs towards the end, anyone is free to come and take with us. We just ask that your faith be in Jesus. We're gonna leave some time in between one of the worship songs as a time of response. What we have hoped for is is in light of these words, when the Holy Spirit is maybe prodding or or dealing with some things that we would spend some moments not thinking about lunch or or, or dinner or what you're gonna do on on, on Monday, fun day, because maybe you're not working tomorrow. We're gonna wrestle with the text and go, God, help me believe this. And I see these tension points, right? And I I don't seem to be able to believe it there. Will you help me see the beauty of who you are and what you've done? and, And and put all of my confidence in you. You worship and you pray in light of that, asking for help in that, and then you come to the table believing that he'll give you the ability through the spirit to walk it out. Friends, I pray that this book is transformative to us, that we are a bold people. How bold do you get to be? You can fail at life and it's still not over because your life's not over at the end. It's a beautiful message if we would all believe it. Would you stand and pray with me?